Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. 97.1 FM Talk Podcast. This hour of the Annie Fry Show is brought to you by Ruler Foods. Low prices, no coupons. Ruler Foods. That is exactly what I needed to hear. Thank God someone here knows what they're talking about. That's us. That's right. Gotta love this American ride. You need to take the time and get the full picture. I mean, they rev my engine, but they don't belong in the newsroom. It is Anchor Man, not Anchor Lady. Goodness sake, kid. Keep your voice down. Your father's listening to the radio. I'm not America's This is the Annie Fry Show. Of course, that's very little I could say right now. I have to analyze this. Obviously, possibly we'll move for a new trial. Certainly we'll appeal. The absurdity of the number merely underscores the absurdity of the entire proceeding where I've not been allowed to offer one single piece of evidence in defense. That's Rudy Giuliani speaking. NBC News reports that Rudy Giuliani should pay a fair pay a pair of Georgia election workers that he repeatedly and falsely accused of fraud. One hundred forty eight million dollars in damages. <laughs> a federal jury uh, said Friday the eight person jury awarded Ruby Freeman and her daughter Wandria Shea Moss. The sum after a four-day trial during which they testified that Giuliani's lies in support of former President Donald Trump's bogus stolen election claims subjected them to a torrent of racist and violent threats and turned their lives upside down. Freeman said, today's a good day. A jury stood witness to what uh, Rudy Giuliani did to me and my daughter and held them accountable for that, and I'm thankful. Moss said, quote, the lies Rudy Giuliani told me, told about me and my mommy, after the 2020 presidential election have changed their lives and the past few years have been devastating. Definitely changed their lives to the tune of $148 million. Those were pretty steep sins. And uh, the people on the jury have spoken. Uh, She also said, Moss also said, quote, we're very grateful to the jury for taking the time out of their busy lives to do their civic duty to listen to everything that we've been going through. Adding that her, quote, greatest wish is that no election ever experiences anything like what we went through, end quote. The amount awarded to Freeman and Moss was for three different kinds of damages, defamation, punitive and emotional distress, 
The plaintiffs were awarded $20 million each for their emotional distress and $75 million between them in punitive damages. Freeman was separately awarded just over $16 million in defamation damages, while Moss was awarded almost $17 million. Giuliani called the dollar amount absurd and told reporters he would appeal. So I guess we wait and see what happens next. All of these ancillary trials that are taking place in the wake of 2020, um, I did not follow that case closely. It's it's hard for me to look at what Rudy Giuliani did in the wake of 2020 and see any substance come out of it that benefited Donald Trump, Donald Trump's um, previous election, benefiting Donald Trump's next election. But $148 million is outrageous. That is a lot of money. He said the mother and daughter should each get, let's see, the attorney, Michael Gottlieb, said in his closing argument that Giuliani had, quote, no right to offer up defenseless civil servants up to a virtual mob in order to overturn an election. He urged the jurors to send a message with their verdict. He said the mother and daughter should each get at least $24 million in damages for Giuliani's defamatory statements, as well as additional money for intentional infliction of emotional dress and punitive damages. As is with most cases, I assume that he gets a cut. Make a pay. Send a message. I'm sure. Uh, we'll see what the appeal process is. Does it matter, Brad, what Rudy Giuliani's... Does it matter? <laughs> I Every time I hear any of these cases, I check out. I, they always strike me as some sort of political... Basically, lawfare is how I feel about them. I don't know if this one is or not. I don't know exactly what all the things are. But I see it, and it just makes me roll my eyes and scroll right on past. I'm just so tired of the pearl clutching and the anger and all of this stuff. And, and like, the thing that makes me mad about it the most, I think, is, is, like, I listen to this stuff, and it's like, you're not allowed to even question the results of this election. And if you do, we are going to punish you via the courts. I don't there, like that. Let people... Is there a difference between people who ask honest questions about what they've seen or heard and what Rudy Giuliani did? Because Giuliani's attorney, Joseph Sibley, said uh, in his opening statement that a large verdict would be the civil equivalent of the death penalty for his client. It would be the end of Mr. Giuliani. That's according to Giuliani's own lawyer. And NBC News reports that he acknowledged in his closing argument that, quote, my client has committed wrongful conduct against the pair and had harmed them, but asked the jury to keep in mind the good Giuliani has done in his lifetime. I mean, that's his own attorney. That's Giuliani's yeah. attorney. Yeah, I, I don't like I'm so not. I guess with this one, I look at that 148 million or whatever it is and I go, I don't even know who these other who these two people are that are the plaintiffs. I couldn't tell you what he said about them. I don't know. So that makes me doubt that they suffered so much that is what they're saying. If I haven't even heard of them. The he, Giuliani had already been found liable. So the jury's responsibility here was to assess damages. Ryan, what do you think about it? Well, I had heard the name Ruby, Ruby Freeman quite a few times. I hadn't heard it in association with Rudy Giuliani. That's the weird thing is I've, you know, followed a lot of these random stories but quite a bit. But I think the reason you've heard of Ruby Freeman's name is because of Rudy Giuliani. I mean, it's possible that because he publicized the name, then other people that I would have seen talk about it were. Um, but the, it so that case happened in Atlanta. And so I, I don't really know, again, like the connection that much. Clearly there was one. 
the the amount of money it's it's so hard because there's so many facets to this like you said Brad when i see a story like this anything involving questioning the 2020 election results makes me automatically have an opinion and i know that everybody else does too and i know that even as we talk about it everybody has an opinion about that election and so does this jury the jury probably came in having an opinion about these matters already so it's it's so hard to find objective juries, objective opinions about any of this stuff because there's so much baked into it that like you, when I see the story, I almost just scroll past it because I know that nobody's going to be giving me anything but their opinion on the, the article and the, the case. Yeah, well, I would say, but my scrolling past it is more like, I'm so done. I'm so over this. I'm so over it. It isn't what Donald Trump said it was. 2020 isn't what Donald Trump said it was. It isn't what Rudy Giuliani said it was. It isn't what Sidney Powell said it was. It wasn't that. It's also not necessarily what the Democrats said it was. I'm just past it. I'm done with it. Let's stop, like, blowing this thing way out of proportion. Also, I'm tired of the argument. It's like, well, if they lied about it, well, prove that they knowingly lied or be quiet about it because I'm tired of hearing that argument, too. Listen. I don't think it was stolen. I think that they did question. I think that the way that 2020 went down was is Democrats took advantage of the pandemic. They were able to overturn and change election laws and then use those election new election laws because they've been changed in a legal manner, in a favorable way to themselves and help boost their outcome. I mean, look at the number of votes there were in 2020. It is the highest election. Trump got 8 million more votes. Yeah, he got more votes and so did. And Joe Biden got 81 million votes. This was the most people that have ever voted in an election ever. Yeah, that raises an eyebrow. Doesn't necessarily mean that you know based on that simple fact that those are fraudulent votes. There's fraud every election. That is is a known thing and and you root it out and you find it and and, you know that's been identified before. Uh, We've been told that this is the most secure election in history. I don't know if I believe that but I look I, I don't talk about the issue very much because everybody is so deeply set in their corners. It's hard to see the other side existing. And it's so pa- people are so passionate about it. I have from the beginning said that I think that the way that the election process was changed, just like Brad was saying, leading into the 2020 election is where I feel the Democrats took advantage of a situation. But there are a lot of people. In, I mean, politics is essentially ask them, never let a good crisis go to waste. Politics is about taking the situations in front of you and manipulating it and and massaging it to be the best outcome Uh, you would think for the American people. But in politics, it's for the political party that represents your favorite uh, voters, essentially. And the Democrats effectively did that. And they did it while Donald Trump was the president and the laws were changed and he pushed back on it. Uh, A lot of people will say Donald Trump sued in this many different uh, states and this many different cases. And there was no litigation that was brought out in, in those lawsuits. They were, those cases were dismissed. Now, were they, were they rightfully dismissed because they were bogus lawsuits? Good grief. I don't even have the time to comb through one after the other, after the other, because it's fruitless. This is a situation where the political power is going to win out. And, When we had a national emergency, when COVID hit the country initially and people reacted based on that initial emergency, the the longer that that panic was prolonged in this country, the more it was used to benefit politically. And in my opinion, 
detrimentally so. I I never, ever watched Rudy Giuliani making his case in the months after and thought, this guy's got him dead to rights. I never, ever thought that. I remember thinking, man, I kind of hope he's right because I don't want Joe Biden to be the president, but never enough that I could come on to this show or in in comments that I was making uh, publicly or privately be like, Rudy Giuliani's got it. Just look at him. Look how confident he is. And I still have great admiration for what he did as America's mayor when he was um, the mayor in 2001. I, I am gratefully appreciative of him for that. And I don't feel like it's a disrespect to Rudy Giuliani to say I respect him for this and I question him on that. His, his you know, in his own statement, his lawyer made said that Rudy Giuliani did something wrong. So, I mean, the Giuliani camp in and of itself is admitting that. Sidney Powell, wrong. Jenna Ellis says she was wrong. It's very difficult to find anybody who's just pursuing abject truth and fact, where the truth and the fact of the matter just speaks for for itself. It's very difficult to find that. Even saying the word Giuliani and having an opinion on him. And listen. Folks, I got an opinion on everything. I have to try very hard to keep my opinions to myself um, when when they're not warranted because by nature of what I do for a living, I think about things and then I decide how I feel about them. And some of those things I share with people, some of those things I don't share with people. But to come on the show and to talk about Rudy Giuliani and to say something that isn't all the way on one side or isn't all the way on the other, which is looks like Rudy Giuliani himself is admitting that he did do something wrong, but that $148 million is absurd. I Isn't that where most people are going to be on this issue? Yeah, I think so. Like, you don't need Rudy Giuliani's head. And, and, and in some cases, like, going back to, um, well, it's not the same thing, but in some cases, a public admission that he was wrong would probably be sufficient for most people. Yeah, the- Maybe not for, for Moss and Freeman. Well, I, the, the ruling in this case is so absurd. I mean, it, it's. I was looking at the Atlanta Journal Constitution here. It says that his finances, Giuliani's finances, probably peaked when he was running for president in 2008 at about, it says, $52 million. Yeah. This is three times that. Yeah, which for is these not where he people, is right now. Which is crazy. And, and clearly, if that attorney was saying, well, this is an opportunity to really stick it to him, to show him. Uh, what we're made of or whatever he was saying, like stick it to Giuliani here. I mean, this guy's getting paid. Obviously he wants to get paid the most he can, but he made it political so that he could get paid the biggest he could. And now here we are. I don't think that the lawyer is the one who made this political. Well, I, 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 think, I, I he, think Rudy Giuliani in and of itself and the, the women who are working in politics, that the predicate of it being political is foundational to the story. Yes. But this guy's not running from it at all. I mean, he's saying, this is an opportunity to stick it to this guy. Go ahead and do it through this civil case. Make it hurt. I think the argument could be made for the lawyer, though, if he's got a, a job. financial interest in this like, to get I as much as he can. I want to hire that guy. Th- that he's just doing his job. Yeah, and and the jury agreed with that. I, I, that's a terrible well, that's, jury. I mean, that's your job as a lawyer is to convince the jury, to persuade the jury. Yeah, what I'm saying is the outcome of this is ridiculous. And uh, uh, three times the man's net worth is never going to happen. And to ask for that 
look, I ask for a million and you're probably pretty well off, you know? I mean, I'm running away with 50 grand and being like, hey, I'm doing pretty good. But that's well, crazy. That, but that's the but that's the point. That's what the lawyer said. They, it wasn't about the money. It was about the statement. And I mean, certainly, <laughs> statement made. It'll be interesting to see if Rudy Giuliani is able to appeal this and get it less into like four million dollars. Didn't the didn't the Johnny Depp what's her face? Um, Amber Heard. Yeah, I know somebody whose name is Amber something close to Heard, and I never want to say that person's name on the air, <laughs> like as the like to smear them. Uh, because I just get the name wrong. Because I don't give a crap about that woman. The Amber Heard. Not your friend. I care about my friend. Yeah. Or uh, yeah. Um, Whereas I only care wasn't about there, Aquaman. Wasn't there? Uh, wasn't there? Like they made the assessment of the damages, but then it had to go through to see if it was going to be lessened or anything. And they're like, "No, we're going to leave it where it is." Did I recall that? Do you remember how much time we dedicated? Not us yeah, on the show, yeah. but like the world is <laughs> yeah. on fire, and all of the TVs and are are like. Live, active coverage of Johnny Depp, who, between Johnny Depp and Amber Heard, watching them be in this trial the whole time, I'm like, they are actors. (laughs) Are you sad? How do I know? (laughs) Are you mad? How do I know? Especially with Johnny Depp, because he's a really good actor. Mm -hmm. Amber Heard, on the other hand, I think she (laughs) She could try. All right, let's take a quick break. Uh, more any Fry Show around the corner. Stick around. We're going to do a giveaway here in a little bit before the show wraps up. You're going to want to keep it right here on the Annie Fry Show. We'll be right back. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. This song was playing on our car when we were driving around this weekend. And it said Christmas Island on there, and I just automatically thought Epstein Island. When you saw the words Christmas and Island together, just boom. Epstein Island. Epstein Island. Can't listen to the song the same now. It does, if, if you were to replace the word Christmas with Epstein in this song, it would make the song very different. We should stop playing it. <laughs> do I need to put this one in red letters? I don't know. I, the internet might do that for us. Maybe somebody's already done that, but I, I, I want to look up the lyrics. No, you don't. No, you don't. Look them up on your own time. Okay, I will. Um, do you feel 
Do you feel, I think our generation is a particularly interesting one. There's a small window of people that are super end of Gen X and super beginning of millennials who understand the world before the internet. Our formidable years were pre-internet, but we were in junior high or high school or early college when the internet became a thing. I, I recall through college, you were not supposed to use the internet for research. Like we had to still go to libraries. If you use the internet for something, it was not counted. I, my recollection was that I could access and use the internet for information, but there were always a required amount of sources needed and none of those could be the internet. You had to have enough sources that were not internet based. Yeah, me too. I, I remember it was my junior or senior year. There were certain databases that my teachers said, you can use these because they're scholarly sources but they have to be sourced from this whatever database it was. And it was kind of a big deal because then you could actually use the internet for once, which before that you couldn't. I think that, for instance, I've talked a lot about technology use with my kids and parenting in a technological world, and it's very difficult to do that. I assume that every generation of parents has had something similar to this, where you were parenting something that you had no experience of as a child. And the internet and technology and phones, but mostly the internet, we were not raised in a world where the internet was what it is today. So you're really winging it. And people take different approaches. Some people take the approach of, you know, throw the door wide open and we'll police as necessary. Other people are close the door, lock the door, do not pass go, um, which is closer to where I am. Outside of that, our our parents are mostly boomers. Your parents are boomers, right? Mm -hmm. Your parents boomers too, Brad? Yeah. So, and, our, and a lot of our parents, not all of them, but the majority, I think, of boomers were raised by the greatest generation. So you're always influenced by, your parents did this. So when you become a parent, you are... You are going to look at what your parents did, and then you're going to say, I am never doing that. Or you're going to look at your parents and say, I really appreciate the fact that they did this, and I am going to employ that as well. But then the technology is different. The time is different. Culture is different. There's a, an article here I found on yourtango.com, and it says, here are 11 boomer parenting philosophies a millennial teacher agrees with. So, I th you know, there's a phrase, and it says a lot, okay, boomer, which means that's cute for you but the world has moved on wouldn't you say it's pretty good yeah. assessment of okay mm -hmm. boomer um children don't need ipads or tablets this is what this millennial teacher says she agrees with boomer parenting not only did she grow up not grow up with a tablet uh, newman actively saw the consequences of technology on children in her classroom instead of increasing playtime interacting with more kids and experiencing nature many kids today are stuck interacting and learning with technology with these devices while these devices can be a blessing for older children in school, the introduction of tablets or iPads at a young age can have serious consequences and language delays and ultimately lead to children speaking less overall. When my family in uh, 20, we, we switched schools. We went to three different schools in three years. We left a school and weren't really sure what we wanted to do next. So we put our kids in public school. They were in kindergarten and second grade at the time, my two oldest. And then after that, we were looking kind of for a more long-term solution and we toured different schools and 
it was very interesting to me to see how much people in schools were pushing, like, we're one-to-one on technology. Like, every kid will have a Chromebook or every kid will have a tablet to a very young age. And the school that we ultimately chose at that point was like, we don't do really much of any technology. They have like a computer class, a typing class or whatever, but they did not, they emphasized no technology. And at first I was like, wow, that's ridiculous. Like these kids need to understand technology. And I was talking to one of my other friends who is an engineer. She's very intelligent, has very smart kids. And she was telling me, she's like, I hate all the technology. Like these kids need to learn how to do it on their own before they learn that a computer will pretty much do everything for them. And that was kind of a wake up call for me especially in education, to limit technology in the process. You remember, like, when you were, when what age you got to start using a calculator? I remember using one in high school, a graphing calculator, but I don't remember the age we started. But, I mean, in, in junior high, like, I don't even think we were, you like, calculators were persona non grata. Yeah, you were a lot, I, I remember being able to use them in junior high whenever the teacher would take them out of the bucket that they had for calculators and be like, all right, this is something we're going to do a calculator work mm-hmm. with. And it was more to teach you how to like punch in the formula on a calculator than it was to learn the math that we were doing. And we're talking about a calculator, the one that you can spell boobies on upside yeah, down. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> yeah. And ASS, I think you could maybe come up with somehow. A. I can't remember what the A was. What kind of calculator were you using? Yeah, no kidding. It was a, it was one of those that you're not allowed to use. It's like it was a graphing days. calculator and I graphed it. Maybe that's why maybe maybe that's why our generation wasn't allowed to use calculators. <laughs> maybe it has nothing to do with mental computation. Our kids are just gonna spell boobies. <laughs> okay. I'm not gonna give them a Sandler. calculator. <laughs> um I I am so in agreement with the iPads or tablets, and I have I have pulled back a little bit on my two and a half year old Molly goes to the gym. She's always in a gym and the gym is she's never there for her. She's always there for other people. If we're going to be doing that long term. For like a weekend tournament somewhere, I have caved and put the tablet into play, mostly because we were like strictly non tablet and people would be like, oh, we'll watch we'll watch Molly for you, blah, blah, blah. And they would always have a tablet. Mm-hmm. So then she started watching a tablet. And and they wouldn't really ask, like, is it okay if she had one? But it did calm her down. She was in that gym because she had to be, not because it was for her. So it was like, if it was going to be a couple hours, we've, we've caved in that regard. But I don't know why you would sit at a restaurant table and pass out devices so everybody can sit there silently and look at those things. Yeah, I don't either. The key word that you use was limit because you're not going to eliminate those things from kids' lives now, nor probably should you. Uh, you, you have to just bring them in as necessary. And in terms of education, not just entertainment, having some exposure to those things I don't think is bad. But it, I don't want to get to the point where the kids aren't thinking for themselves and need constant simulation because that really does turn into problems with concentration and things in classrooms. And you can see it happening since 2020 very much. Um, I woke up this morning and we've told our kids, you know, you can't just wake up and go like turn the TV on. You got to wait for us to wake up and do breakfast and stuff. And I woke up this morning to my kids had created an entire post office in our living room with bags and print fake printers. And they wanted us to quote unquote buy stamps. And I'm like, this is awesome. They were being creative. <laughs> Number two, your child does not need a smartphone until they're at least 
in high school. While access to the internet is far less regulated for older children, parents can decrease the chances of internet harm early in their kids' lives. Increased dangers like online predators, bullying, and harmful self-worth ideas can all stem from the early adoption of social media and internet access for kids under 18 years old. And this points out something that I think is really, really important. You could have the most trustworthy kid. You could have a kid who's never going to seek the dark alleys that the internet can take kids down and will take kids down. But there are people there searching for and seeking out your child. And that's the truth and the fact of the matter. And they're good at it. And they go in places that you never expect them to be. And you wouldn't let your kid just wander around the world the way we do when we hand the internet over. Um, It's not that you don't trust your kid to be out on the roads or the streets or, you know, walking from a shop to a shop. But do you trust everybody else around your kid? I don't. I don't understand the free permission that parents are giving their kids. And I'm talking like younger than fifth grade in in a lot of cases where they're like, here's the Internet. Here's our old iPhone. I have two phones that I two phones that I have upgraded from. I think one's a Samsung Galaxy S9 and one's a 20. And they both are active lines and my children have access to them. If they are going to be away from us for a period of time. But there is no instance at home where those phones are in their hands. They sit on a shelf and, you know, they're in group chats and the phones will go off and then they ask permission to check the group chats. But there's no browsing. There's no Googling. There's no social media. Nothing. And I am super strict compared to the majority of people that my kids are associated with. You have to be. And maybe nothing would have happened. But you know nothing's going to happen if you're that strict. Number three, teaching children the value of education outside of financial stability. When it comes to education, Newman's opinion was clear. Quote, this has nothing to do with how much money you'll be making in the future, how much success you'll have professionally, but you'll value it nonetheless, regardless of whether kids pursue higher education. She stressed the importance of being a lifelong learner. So understanding that learning is more important than just getting a degree that's going to make you a specific amount of money. Like that the money isn't the be-all, end-all of stability. Yeah, learning critical thinking is what we're talking about. Being able to ask those questions and and learn for yourself. Do you think whenever they say being a lifelong learner, they, they more are talking about fostering an idea or, or, or a, a mentality of curiosity? I wonder why this is the way this is, and you want to know why. It, it More creating that desire to know rather than saying, you know, you always have to be involved in some sort of ongoing at, uh, education, I guess, is how I would say. Uh, number four, children should always respect their teachers and treat them well. Anyone who has gone through a professional degree program has put in the time and they're giving and, and is there giving you a quality education deserves some type of attention and deserve to be treated well. We've all grown to dislike te- a teacher at some point in our lives. Acting out on those feelings, however, is inappropriate, especially at school. Unless the teacher is acting inappropriately or another student is being hurt by their actions, students should always be respectful of a teacher's wishes. I would add to this, all three of us in here are married to teachers, and all three of us are exposed to the, everybody is exposed to the culture of teachers feeling underpaid and underappreciated. Um, sometimes I agree with that. I wish that teachers were paid a boatload more when they're good at it. <laughs> That's pretty much what it comes down to. If you were a good teacher, you should be very much so compensated for that. If you are a bad teacher, you should be fired. 
just like any other job, if you are bad at your job or harmful at your job, you should either be put in a position to become better and meet a certain set of standards, or you should not be doing that job. But that's not the way the public school system is set up. But the idea that children should respect their teachers and treat them well, if you take teachers out and put in authority, kids are not being raised on the whole today to understand that you respect authority and that authority is there's an age hierarchy there and that the the first thing you should do when you meet someone in authority is call them Mr. Mrs. or Ms. or whatever. I tell the kids that I coach, just call me Annie. I don't have a single existence in my life where I'm Mrs. Fry. Um, I don't, that's just not me, but if a kid, I appreciate it and, and uh, I'm grateful when a child will meet me and say, Mrs. Fry. And I'll be like, Nope, you call me Annie. But the, the first step should be the understanding that there are people in the world who are in a position of authority and you need to respect those people, <clears throat> not question it immediately, rudely at every turn. Yes, and it is so uncommon to have a kid step into that with a, hey, Mr. Wiggins or whatever, whatever, uh, you know, acknowledgement of that respect it would look like. It's so uncommon to see it that it really stands out now, too. Any thoughts, Brad? Yeah, I, I like that. Approach them, but like you said, hey, call me Annie. If the If the adult then says, hey, you know, this is what I would prefer to go by. Then the respectful thing to do is to to honor that adult's wishes on what they prefer to go by. I had a big long conversation with a parent one time that insisted that their kids refer to me as Mr. Brad, and I do not like Mr. Brad. Mr. Brad is conflicting. I have kids who call me Miss Annie, and I'm like, I've told them, just call me Annie. It's yeah, still Miss Annie. I'm like, technically, it's Mrs. <laughs> <laughs> last point is, is that, and this is open a different can of worms, but is something that I've very much seen in the last couple of years. I don't think adults our age and maybe even younger, I don't see them knowing how to discipline kids very well. And I think that is a generational thing that maybe they weren't disciplined very well, that we almost have to train adults to know how to discipline kids. Or just have the balls to do it. I'm just going to say it. Have, like, that's, stop. Well, that's what I mean. You, you can't. Yes. The thing that needs to be trained is that you're not supposed to be their friend. Yes. That's kind of what I'm getting at. You have to love them so hard that you're willing to allow them to hate you momentarily because you're the one who will step in the way and say, no, this is not good for you and it's my responsibility, even if you hate me for it, to do this. Let's take a quick break. We'll wrap up uh, the things that this millennial teacher says that boomer parents got right. We'll be right back. Odyssey is giving you a chance to win a trip to London to see Taylor Swift at the Eras Tour. It's Tay in the UK. Hey, it's Taylor. Just download the free Odyssey app, log in and listen to a participating station for a minimum of 60 minutes to get your daily entry. And you could win a chance to fly off to London with three friends and see Taylor. I can't wait to see you at the Eras Tour in London. For more, go to odyssey.com slash Taylor. Tay in the UK. It's on the Odyssey app. Thanks to Republic Records. This is a national contest. We're talking a little bit about uh, this article from YourTango.com. It says, millennial teacher with kids of her own shares 11 boomer parenting philosophy she's agree- she agrees with. Um, we got through five, four of them, and several of these I'm going to lump together into one category. Five is be kind to the elderly. Six is children should have manners, including using yes, ma'am, and no, sir, to address people regardless of age. 
And seven says children should use terms of gratitude like please and thank you. Um, all of those together are manners based. And society as a whole will be better if we raise a generation of people who are willing to put other people before they put themselves. Like that comes around back to you and pays dividends. Also, to be kind to the elderly, just understanding that there is a respect that we should have for elder, elderly people among us, again, is a selfless thing to do. Offer help or assistance in a polite way. I think that that is something that could be championed a little bit more. Number eight, there should be consequences for poor behavior. We've talked about all the things kids could do, but we actually assessing a consequence when someone does something poor, like the behavior is bad. That's the reinforcement to make that bad behavior stop happening again. And if you can't have the guts to take your kid on like that, you are enabling and reinforcing bad behavior. You have to stop it. Yeah, it's amazing. We talk about that in political terms a lot, but it really starts right there. It starts in the home when you're a kid, understanding there are consequences to bad behavior. Number nine, kids should be respectful of adult conversations in adult spaces. Yes. Something that I'm constantly teaching my kids, it doesn't matter if, if Ryan, if you and I are talking about something and it's not like dramatically important, but you and I are in the middle of a conversation and my kid walks up and starts going, mom, 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 unless there is an emergency, I will finish this conversation with this grown person and you can stand here and wait unless I say I need to have this conversation without you. You can wait. You are not the most important thing all the time, every moment of your life. And that does start by teaching those children to respect those spaces. And it's like impossible to have a conversation with somebody that is always willing to be interrupted by the kids that are around them. It's that's incredibly frustrating. Yep. Same parent lessons. Number 10, children should clean up their messes and play a part in household chores. Emphatically. So even if the hardest thing is a parent, and as an adult, is to make the kids do it when they are doing it at about a C minus passing grade. And you're like, that's not the way you load the dishwasher. That's not the way you're supposed to put the sofa wear away. That's not the best way to fold the laundry. They have to do it so they can get better at it so that when they become independent people, they are actually independent people. And I always remind my husband, and he will remind me, we are raising somebody's husband or wife. <laughs> and then my, my husband will always go, Probably. <laughs> <laughs> this rule takes a lot of work, though, because then you got to oversee the steps almost every time until they get a little older. Parenting. Yes. That's what it is. Um, and the last one, bedtime should be enforced as long as children are living under your roof. Missing out on life because you pulled an all-nighter or stayed up too late the night before is unacceptable. There's no reason to be sacrificing your well-being even for schoolwork. Research on the importance of sleep for young people found that lack of sleep can be more severe consequences for children and for adults. Um I am the one in our household that permits staying up later. My husband's always like, they should go to bed. I'm like, oh, we're having fun. <laughs> and my, and the compromise there, and I think it's a good one, is we tell our kids, when it's time to get up, you have to get up. You have to, we, can, we'll, we don't have a problem waking our kids up in the morning and say, hey, it's time to get up. But you have to get up. And if it takes us four times and then by the end we're like, get out of bed, then you lose the privilege to stay up at night. And this is exactly the instance right now in our house with my son. He wants to stay up all night. He's just like me. And he can't get out of bed in the morning. And so we keep telling him, listen, invest now, go to bed, get some sleep. And in the morning, there's your shot. You got to string together like three good mornings to get a fun night. And you're not there. Good, good night. We love you. We emphatically love you. What you're saying is 
there are consequences to his actions. Yes! Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we should ask him about them. You like these. By the way, don't ever let your kid call you bruh. <laughs> bruh. Well, we're going to learn a lesson real fast there. <laughs> Mr. Bruh. Son. <laughs> My son doesn't call me bruh. I think he maybe did once. Yeah, that was the last time. On the Andy Fry YouTube live chat poll today, do you have broken relationships due to political differences? This is really close. Huh. Did you, do you, is your answer yes or no? My answer is no. No. I would say yes. So one out of three yeses in this room. The results from uh, 154 votes on our YouTube poll today, 54% said yes. Wow. wow. That's sad. It mm-hmm. is sad. Although not unexpected. Yeah. I mean, and, and I do think that if you would have asked this four years ago, that the poll results might be a little more dramatic. Uh, Quick Rick said... I wouldn't call them broken, but there are family members with whom you understand that politics is not a constructive topic to bring up. That's that's how you function as grown people. I think that's a, a smart way to do it. Lionheart says, I don't know about relationships per se, but the overturning of Roe v. Wade cleaned out my Facebook friends quite a bit, all of which I truly do know in real life. Um, so, yeah, that that I mean, some of those hot button issues certainly are going to make it even more so. Blues fan said I voted yes in the poll, but it wasn't me who broke off the relationship. Man, we see that over and over again. Well, let's mend some of those relationships in the right way when possible and let go of the ones that aren't. Stick around. The Mark Rudin Show coming up next. Get more at 971talk.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Odyssey is giving you a chance to win a trip to London to see Taylor Swift at the Eras Tour. It's Tay in the UK. Hey, it's Taylor. Just download the free Odyssey app, log in and listen to a participating station for a minimum of 60 minutes to get your daily entry. And you could win a chance to fly off to London with three friends and see Taylor. I can't wait to see you at the Eras Tour in London. For more, go to odyssey.com slash Taylor. Tay in the UK. It's on the Odyssey app. Thanks to Republic Records. This is a national contest. (laughs) 